Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Premier League clubs have voted in favour of limiting amortisation on new contracts to a maximum of five years. Deals can still be longer, but amortisation can't. There was previously no cap, but the Premier League is now going to be moving in line with the UEFA rules. This is a bonus edition of the debrief on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Welcome along. Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to this bonus edition of the debrief on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Of course, it's match day for the Arsenal. The Gunners are in action in about an hour and a half's time from now, uh, they take on PSV Eindhoven. We'll be bringing you reaction to that game later on tonight on this very channel. You'll also be able to listen to our review show, of course, uh, on whichever audio platform it is that you consume the Chronicles of Aguna podcast from. But I figured it was worth jumping on and bringing you a special edition of the debrief in order to discuss the big news coming out this afternoon with regards to today's Premier League meeting, to the vote that has been uh, taken by the Premier League clubs. David Ornstein reported a little bit earlier on today that Premier League clubs have voted in favour of limiting amortisation on new contracts to a maximum of five years. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't sign players up on longer-term contracts. It doesn't mean you can't sign someone on a six-year deal, on a seven-year deal, but it does mean that you can't spread the cost of that transfer, as far as your books are concerned, over that entire term. You'd only be able to spread that over the maximum of five years. And I think there's a lot of sort of bits and pieces to unpack from this. I think this is a good thing. I think it's a good move. There's one club in particular who spring to mind when I think of the use of amortization and the use of the loophole that obviously existed previously. And we'll talk a little bit about how it affect them uh, affect them as well. That's Chelsea, of course. And we'll get some of your thoughts uh, too from the live chat box. But first, before we do that, I want to explain to you exactly what uh, David Ornstein has reported, exactly what this means, and um, exactly what it all looks like. So uh, we'll start right there, I think. So it was David Ornstein that broke this news a little bit earlier on this afternoon. A little bit more detail has emerged, of course, since um, the initial tweet, which came out with a link to a piece on The Athletic, of course, uh, where David Ornstein shared the news. The Premier League vote took place today. 15 clubs voted in favour of this, one of them being Chelsea. Now, we'll come on to that in a minute. Why would Chelsea vote for this? given the strategy that they've adopted in recent times. Two clubs have voted against it and three have abstained from the vote completely. Uh, David Osney making it clear that contracts can still be any length 
but the period over which a player's transfer fee can be spread out in the club accounts is limited to a maximum of five years. And that is in line with UEFA. We'll start with the point of why would Chelsea vote in favour of this? Well, if you know that the vote's not going to go through and you know it's, sorry, if you know that the vote's going to win, the vote that stops this happening going forward, then, you know, with or without you, then you're going to be actually quite happy for there to be something put in place that that stops other clubs adopting this strategy. Todd Bowley and Chelsea clearly think it's a really smart thing to do. They went out and done it. They brought in a number of young players on really, really long contracts. They spread the cost over a long period of time, which obviously um, helps them in terms of meeting the FFP regulations. They've already done it now. So if everybody else was going to vote for this change to come into place anyway, then why wouldn't they uh, vote in favour of it coming into place to prevent and make sure that nobody else can do it going forward? Chelsea have already benefited from this. And this is the point. Like people look at a lot of the signings that they've made, you know, Mikhailo Mudrik, Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo. They've all come on on big, big, big money, mega term contracts. And at the moment, we look at that team we look at the way some of those signings are performing and we think, well, it's been a bit of a flop, hasn't it? It's not really worked. The the bold plan that Todd Bowley came up with is not really worked, but it could still work in the future because what he's been able to do is bring these undoubtedly talented players into the football club and he's been able to spread the cost over a long period of time, meaning that Chelsea's books look a lot healthier, meaning that they sail further away from that red line of FFP and they're less likely to cross into the red and all the rest of it. Um, and if Chelsea in the next three or four years go on to be a real contender again with a lot of these players that were signed on these long-term contracts at the heart of, of their side, which could still happen because of A, how young they are, but B, how talented we know a lot of them are, then, you know, Chelsea would have benefited from this. We understand that there is no plan to backdate this. There is no plan to go back, for example, and penalise Chelsea, who have already done this, and any other clubs that have done this. The reason I say Chelsea is because, you know, they're the ones who are most talked about. They're the ones who it's most well documented about. They're the ones who, you know, made this a thing in the Premier League, really, in terms of uh, it becoming a, a big story and a big deal. And, and many of us were looking at some of the spending done since Todd Bowley come in, you know, a billion pounds and thinking, how on earth are Chelsea getting away with this? Well, they were able to exploit this loophole. Todd Bowley, from what I understand, has got a history of assessing situations, identifying loopholes and then using them to his advantage. Fair enough. Is he, he will say it's good business. I'm not so sure, but he will say, of course, uh, that it is good business. So. To be clear, contracts can be any length, but the period over which that transfer fee can be spread out is limited to a maximum of five years. So we've already established why Chelsea might have voted for this. Um, as I say, you know, there's no going back. They're not going to be in trouble for anything they've done already. They make sure um, by adding their vote, it would have gone through anyway, but they make sure that nobody else, because obviously they don't know what everyone else is voting at the time, they make sure that nobody else will be able to do this and nobody else will be able to exploit this loophole in the future. And they might be at an advantage as a result of this further down the line. Todd Bowley's strategy has largely been based around exploiting this loophole in order to try and recruit the players that he feels are worth the big bucks, the players that he feels have a bright future ahead of them. Only time's going to tell if it works out. But if in a few years' time, 
um, you know, Chelsea are in a great place, then we're all going to look back and go, you know what, Todd Bowley, when he adopted that strategy, we all laughed at him. We all thought it was a little bit crazy, but he's reaping the rewards from it now. And guess what? Nobody else will be able to replicate that. I think generally this is a good thing. You might ask, why is it a good thing? Well, I think there are a number of reasons as to why this is a good thing. So first of all, I think being in line with UEFA is is good, is the right thing. I'm not saying that UEFA are, you know, this amazing shining example of footballing integrity and that everybody, um, you know, should follow their path. I'm not saying they're not, but I just think it's in the best interests of European football on the whole if these rules and regulations are aligned across the board. Because, you know, if you look at, for example, the Premier League and the way it governs itself, we all know that the Premier League is at a financial advantage in comparison to other leagues because it generates bigger revenues. It's got really wealthy owners, all the rest of it. And actually what we've seen over the last few years, I would argue, is that because of things like this, not specifically this rule or regulation, but because of this type of thing, because of there being less regulation in the Premier League in comparison to some of the other leagues, we've actually seen the Premier League pull away from everybody else to a point now where I don't think the European football landscape is level. And I don't like that. I want European competitions to have teams going head to head that can compete with one another. You know, I want that. I want the competition to be richer. I want it to be more entertaining, more in enjoyable. I want there to be a more level playing field, generally speaking. So it's good that we're in line with UEFA's regulation there, I think, uh, for those reasons. In terms of FFP, I think this increases the chances of FFP actually being adhered to by the clubs that are required to do so. I think that being able to spread the costs over a far longer period of time was seen as something that clubs could exploit in order to make sure that, you know, they had a bit of wiggle room when it came to submitting their numbers and um, and when it came to the FFP regulation actually being implemented by the relevant people. So I actually think this is increased, uh, this increases the chances of FFP being adhered to, um, generally speaking. I think it also limits the potential for some unsavory, you know, questionable deals. And we've seen a few of those, I think, over the last few years. So, yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm all for this. I really, really am. I also don't think that being able to give players seven-year contracts, for example, um, is a good thing for the club or the player. Because I think it's very, very rare as a football club that you will sign someone that you absolutely 100% know is going to be good enough um, for you to sign up to a seven-year contract and at no point are you ever going to be worried or concerned uh, about their level of performance. I, I think there are only a handful of players. Like, I think Barcelona might have given Lionel Messi a seven-year contract back in the day, and that would have been acceptable. You know, I think that Arsenal might have given Thierry Henry a seven-year contract at some point, and we'd have all looked at that and gone, yeah, absolutely fine. But football can change very, very quickly. And a good example, I think, bringing Arsenal into the conversation would be, look how happy we were when Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signed that new deal with the club quite early on in Mikel Arteta's tenure. And very shortly after that, things went south and we wanted him out the door. So I think the club need to protect themselves. They will say that, you know, Chelsea will say, and other clubs that have used this technique will say, yeah, but if I sign this player up on this contract, the fact that this is a really long deal, it protects me against other suitors coming in and then 
low-balling me in their offers. If I've got four years left on someone's deal, um, five years left on someone's deal, I can demand top, top dollar as a result of that. So you could make the argument that it protects clubs, but I actually think it does the opposite because I think football changes very quickly. I think you can bring in players that you think are compatible with a certain playing style and a certain manager. Year, 18 months down the line, you decide the manager's not the right man. You just chop it, you change it, and you end up in a situation where... Um, you know, that that no longer works for you. I also don't think it's great for the player. I think, again, there's a case to be made both ways. A player would argue, well, I'm a footballer. I've got a short career. I'm earning a top, top wage at Chelsea Football Club, for example. You give me a seven-year deal. I've got that security for seven years. But does it drive you to really be the best player that you can be? And as a football club, you know, do, do you rest on your laurels when you have players tied up on seven-year contracts and maybe stick with them for longer than you should and, and end up being reluctant to make the change because of those contracts? I just don't think from a performance standpoint, for anyone to be in their comfort zone for seven years without ever feeling any jeopardy, any concern about where they may end up, any concern about their performance level, I just don't think that's a healthy environment to create within a football club. So those are the reasons why I think that actually this is a good thing. I think five years is long enough. I, I really do. And I'm fine with it being the maximum period of time that you can spend, uh, sorry, that you can spread the cost over. If it were me, I wouldn't even allow players to sign deals longer than five years, let alone talking about the amortization part. Now, David Ornstein, as I said already, makes it very clear that you can still sign a player on a six-year, seven-year, eight-year deal, but you would have to spread the cost of that transfer when doing your accounting across no more than, uh, you know, the, the the sort of five-year period that you're restricted and limited to. Now, there will be clubs that sign players on five-year deals and spread the cost over three years. And that's fine. That happens. But, you know, th there are clubs that have tried to exploit this. Uh, maybe exploit's the wrong word because they're within their rights to do it. There wasn't a rule saying you couldn't. But clubs have used this, if you like, a bit. It's a bit of a loophole to try and be... and and sort of justify stretching themselves in the transfer market without landing themselves in hot water and being able to do big amounts of business in a short period of time. Todd Bowley's Chelsea, there's no better example of that. A club that spent a billion pounds since he took over. And a lot of that has been facilitated by the fact that they were able to utilise this sort of hole in the rules, hole in the laws, if you like. So that's where I'm at on it. Let me get a few of your... Uh, comments from the chat box and then we're going to leave it there this is a very very brief edition of the debrief we're going to be doing these from time to time when there's a big story that we feel is worth discussing we'll bring you these impromptu bite-sized episodes of the show um, but anyway let me get some of your thoughts uh, Paul Nell says everyone in the states uh, is moaning about Bowley finding a loophole with the 700 million dollar contract he signed Otani to a 10-year 700 million dollar contract in LA, this is a baseball player, from what I understand. Uh, Otani is only making two million per season, and is pushing the rest of the salary out in order to lower the cap hit. There you go. Um, so, um, you know, this is something that you know Todd Bowley has got a reputation for, and I'm not going to call it cheating or anything like that because it's not cheating. But he has been able to find ways of doing mega deals. He's clearly got a great legal team. He's clearly, clearly got a great business mind. Football in mind, I'd question him, mind you, but certainly business, he seems to be 
um, on top of it. Uh, Steve Stone, when we were talking about the Chelsea thing and, and why they would have voted for this, even though when you think about it, it doesn't really make sense at first. But the more you kind of delve into it, the more you can understand why they wanted to do this. Steve says exactly how it stops others uh, copying. Uh, we've got Junior Gunner in the chat. We've got Soham who joins us from Mumbai as well. Uh, Khalid said, love the Chelsea logo on the thumbnail. I couldn't think of a better example of a club that has really gone big on this. Chelsea are the example. Um, Archangel says uh, Chelsea are looking at severe knuckle wrapping. Remember, this is not something that is going to, you know, they're not going to be punished retrospectively for this. The, the, the fact that they've already done it isn't going to have an impact. This is something that's going to be brought into play moving forwards. Um, there will be no backdating on this. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Archangel says he wasn't happy when um, when Aubameyang signed that contract. He said he wanted him sold. He was at the height of his value when he was dropping the FA Cup. Yeah, he did drop it, didn't he? Uh, Junior Gunner says the Bass clubs are quite well known for the lengthy contracts. They are. Um, but I think because the Bass clubs limit themselves to Basque players predominantly, I think that it makes a bit more sense. Um, you know, they do have release clauses in there, though, as well. And that's something that is required in Spanish football law, that players have a release clause, which isn't the case here in England. So the situation is a bit different, but you're right to point out that the Basque clubs do like to do this. Um, Khalid says the risk with the longer term contract is that players won't see the need to perform because they have the security of a seven year contract. It's, it's basically a tenure for a football player. Agree. Uh, Steve says if it doesn't work out for the player, the club are burdened with paying the wages long term and having high investments devalue. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We've got the Geordie uh, Guna joining us from Eindhoven. Big shout out to you, mate, and everybody else that's made the trip. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all keeping safe. And I hope you're all um, in for a treat tonight. Arsenal kicking off in around about an hour and 15 minutes time from now. Something like that. Anyway, um, just to bring something else into the conversation uh, before I uh, disappear. Uh, Afsar says, Turkish referee. A Turkish referee got punched in a football match yesterday. Disgraceful. I mean, like, I watched that and I was just in complete disbelief. Like, I know I can be quite critical of referees, but, you know, I'm being critical of their performance. I'm being critical of, you know, them, in my opinion, getting basic decisions wrong despite having the technology available to them. And what I will say is, you know, you can you can say that what you saw um, happened to that referee is an absolute disgrace. And it is. And it should be um, something that is, you know, dealt with as severely as possible. You know, the Turkish uh, leagues have been suspended for now um, while an investigation goes uh, on around this. And that's that's the right level of action to take, because that is I just it's just unbelievable. Like we've all seen Sunday league referees get a bit of grief, but to see it at this level to me is, and I'm not condoning Sunday league referees getting grief. I'm just saying that we've all been there watching a referee get grief um, on a Sunday league pitch and, and, you know, generally verbal stuff. Um, but that's still not on either. I just think with this, you know, given the size of the clubs, given the size of the game and all the rest of it, it's just, it, it, it's beyond belief. Like I couldn't believe what I was watching when I saw that. Um, look, we can criticise referees' decisions and we can be critical of their performances just like we can with players and anybody else in any other walk of life. But the minute you cross lines like this, you've got a serious problem. Now, what I will say is that I've seen quite a few journalists 
um, sort of really doubling down on this and saying, you know, we're, we're one step away from that. We really need to get our house in order when it comes to referees. I think generally a lot of the conversation around referees in this country is healthy. I think the conversation is about their performance. I don't think we've got to the point where I would, as a referee, walk out onto the pitch in the Premier League and be nervous that someone was going to come and lamp me. So I'm not saying that we, you know, we should be, that it's okay to disrespect referees or anything like that. What I'm saying is that I think the majority of the conversation around referees in this country at the moment is still healthy. I think the conversation needs to be had because the standards aren't there. At no point would I ever condone anyone going up and hitting a referee. Never. Even if he gave a penalty to Tottenham in the Champions League final against us, that never was. Still wouldn't want to go up and punch the guy. Right? Genuine, genuinely. But we've also got to be careful that right now where we've kind of got a, a bit of pressure on the PGMOL and the referees to do better, that we don't just kind of ease off completely from fear of something like what happened in that game in Turkey happening here, because I don't think we're anywhere near that point is the point that I would make. Anyway, going to leave it there. Thank you all so much for joining me on this impromptu edition of the debrief here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We're going to be back later tonight around about 7.45 to bring you reaction to uh, Arsenal's trip to PSV Eindhoven. Really, really looking forward um, to speaking to you about that one. Hopefully it's a good result with a good performance. Um, looking forward to seeing some of the fringe players in action. Maybe some of the young lads will get on the pitch at some point. Uh, who knows? Uh, but we'll, of course, bring you full reaction to that. That'll be available uh, live on this YouTube channel from about 7.45pm, but also available from wherever you get your podcasts from about half past eight. I'll see you later on. Until then, take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>